0: Hello and welcome to the Link Podcast, the industry's link to learn, innovate, news and knowledge in global supply chain intelligence, hosted by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. We cover everything from transportation and warehousing trends and new technologies to food safety and sustainability, anything impacting today's supply chain. I'm Brielle Jekyll, Associate Editor here, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Bob Hibbert, a partner at law firm Morgan Lewis, as we dive into the state of the food supply chain today as COVID-19 is hopefully starting to subside uh, and what goes into this from a legal perspective. So let's link into that interview now. Hi, everyone. My name is Brielle Jekyll. I'm the Associate Editor of SDCE and Food Logistics. And today I am here to talk to you about some of the disruptions going on in the supply chain. Um, And we're here with Bob Hibbert, who's a partner at Morgan Lewis, a law firm um, who helps, you know, advise clients in the food and agricultural industries on regulations and stuff like that. And he's going to give us a little bit of an update on what's going on in the supply chain right now. Hi, Bob. Thank you for coming. Oh,
1: good to be with you.
0: Good. So um, if you want to, could you, could you just give us like kind of an overview where the food supply chain stands right now um, as the country starts to reopen? I know that there's lots of, um, you know, slow-moving regulations being pulled back. Um, you know, restaurants are kind of slowly opening again. Is there still a disruption going on in the, in the food chain?
1: Well, obviously, the the COVID pandemic has has imposed some stresses on the chain. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think it looks at the moment as if the worst is over. But uh, what you've seen, uh, you've seen a few things. You've seen uh, a fair amount of forbearance uh, from some of the regulators on some of the technical labeling compliance issues. You know, for example, there are different. Types of uh, labeling. There's more labeling information that winds up on food that goes to the grocery store, than goes to food service or a restaurant. Basically, the regulators have been saying, "Let's not sweat some of the small stuff. If the food has to be safe, it can't be misrepresent- misrepresented and so on." But some of these technical requirements have been have been postponed or you know put on hiatus for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, the, other, you know, the other big issue that's gotten a lot of attention is the question of some of the bigger facilities. There's been a lot of focus on the meat and poultry industries, uh, and now there's been movement in the produce industry as well uh, in terms of identifying those facilities as critical infrastructure uh, and certain authorities under the Defense Production Act uh, which uh, for the most, essentially have not been used, but they're sitting there uh, sort of on the shelf basically as a statement that uh, that the food chain is critical infrastructure, uh, that all its moving parts have to keep working, mm-hmm. uh, and that there's government authority behind that if needed.
0: Mm-hmm. So from a, a legal standpoint right now, um, you know, towards, I guess I, w- I would like to say, towards the end of the, of the outbreak, um, what do you think some of the challenges are, are going forward?
1: Well, I think the fundamental challenge uh, for, for anyone running a packing and processing informa- uh, excuse me uh, institution is, is reconciling uh, the need to stay open and keep producing With the need to to maximize the safety of workers and of the public health generally uh, in facilities that, in many cases, really aren't built for the type of social distancing and other kinds of personal isolation uh, that is, is now necessitated by the pandemic. So, basically, I think lots and lots of food establishments have been struggling with the right balance. Uh, in terms of working out that equation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, but as you suggest, and I certainly hope and believe you're right, I think we are, you know, the worst appears to be over. Um, and, you know, we, we hope that we can begin to sort of unwind things and get back to, I guess, what's going to be some sort of new normal.
0: Right. Yeah, it, it, it is. I feel like there's definitely a majority, especially in the food chain, um, of companies doing the right thing and and being communicative with their with their employees and everyone just kind of trying to work together to find you know the right response to this
1: I think that's right uh but of course you know that's uh yeah it's an imperfect world, and you can't yep. sit here and say that's happening in every single uh locality but i yeah you know, I think that is. You know, I think that is the the, the thrust of of what's happening. Uh, and I think what uh, well, if your organization is in the food logistics business, you you have a grasp of this. But I think what uh, what a lot of the average, the average citizen may not have a good grasp of is you focus on these you know big bad packing companies uh, and and bad in quotes, obviously, but but uh, the, the notion that, you know, the, the notion that someone is trying too hard to keep them running, they don't exist in a vacuum. It's not simply a question of the health of their business. It's a, it's a question of the, the functionality of the entire food chain, because if you're dealing with, with animals or perishable crops, uh, you know, the farmers and ranchers have to get those to market. Um or they're in big trouble as well, so it's really a question of these critical links in the chain uh having to operate, or the food chain doesn't work, and people don 't eat um and that 's what i think yeah that 's what I think some of the reporting on these issues doesn't doesn't quite get the context of
0: right exactly i mean it's been really eye opening to see exactly you know how much goes into i mean for for those who don't work in the supply chain i mean so much visibility has been added to it since this all started i mean you can see all the different levels of the supply chain especially with food now and i know like a month or two ago i was trying to work on a story about dairy farmers having to dump milk because they couldn't get the their their products out there, and because um, stores were so scared of hoarding and panic buying that they were limiting the things, so they were having to dump all this milk. And I couldn't even get anyone on the phone because they just they they were so stressed to the max that it, they couldn't even take a few minutes just to answer some questions. It, it was it was so rough.
1: Sure, I think in the early days of this, when you just you know people are getting clobbered with all these unknown circumstances. I mean, people got put through the ringer. And I think particularly in those early moments, I think a a lot of people did get, did get hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that, you know, so glass half full full thing, but I maybe more than half full. I think the system has adjusted pretty well and perhaps adjusted a bit better. Um, then you know you might have you might have speculated a couple of months ago. Uh, the I mean you know there, uh, people people particularly I think, you know on the dairy farms and other places have gotten hurt, but you know the the food supply has kept going and people have adjusted and you know you there, uh, people people are getting fed. Um, and that's that's pretty important.
0: Yeah, sorry, I'm having a dog barking issue.
1: <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine.
0: Um, yeah, it's, it's really been such a ride, I guess. I really do. Like I said before, I really hope it's over, and I hope everyone, you know, is able to come bounce back. Yeah. Um, so a while ago, I wrote a story about the force major clause um and people having to enact that um did you have to deal with anything like that or or are you strictly on um outside um regulations
1: well yeah more the latter i mean obviously the whole question of force majeure uh and you know arguments and perhaps litigation and so on surrounding that is going to be with us in the legal system i think for quite a while uh yeah, I think that yeah, that's just that's going to be thrashed out uh, in negotiations and in the courts for months to come. But that's uh, for the most part, that's that's not my ballpark. At that point, I call up the litigators in the firm and say, "Heaven."
0: Yeah. yeah, I I figured. I was just curious. Um, but so, from your standpoint, what happens if authority is exercised under the, the Defense Production Act? And do you want to give like a little summary about what that entails? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's that's part of the landscape. Although I think it is, it's part of the landscape that essentially hasn't been activated. But if you go back, uh, if you go back several weeks, uh, the president initially activated the defense. Production Act and identified meat and poultry uh, facilities as critical infrastructure, uh, and and the executive order said that you know, that the Defense Production Act was being invoked uh, to mi- to ma- to maintain uh, those operations as needed, uh, and that the Defense Production Act is additional authority to make sure that those places stay open. Okay. Uh, to, to the best of my knowledge, however, that, and there's the statutory, the legal stuff there gets complicated. This is, this was uh, legislation that was passed around the time of the Korean War, and it's, its basic function is, you said defense production, is making sure that the right supplies are available for defense of the United States. Isn't quite what we're dealing with here, but there's this you know, emergency authority that's applicable, and it would give if it was invoked, it would it would uh, there are certain contractual arrangements to we made, you know, that are ordered, or there are situations I believe under the act where under the act an order could be issued that says you shall remain open. Uh, that has not happened, uh, but under the act of could, And then more recently, uh, those authorities were extended um, to cover, to potentially cover, uh, produce uh, packing establishments as well for fruits and vegetables. Uh, the, the legal stuff there gets confusing because you started with meat and poultry and, and that comes under the day-to-day jurisdiction of the Department of Agriculture. Most other foods come under the jurisdiction of the uh, Food and Drug Administration, including essentially owned produce. Uh, but uh, the way this works, the Secretary of Agriculture still has the authority, but if he's dealing with an FDA product, uh, he's supposed to consult logically with the FDA before he does anything. But again, this is all, I think, it's all sitting there in the background. Uh, those authorities have not been invoked. But what they do is they send out a message to these industries and to the world that uh, these facilities are critical infrastructure and that everything within reason should be done to keep them operating and that there is this, you know, legal stick sitting there in the corner that can be used if needed.
0: Okay. So you haven't seen any instances or anything, any, any anecdotes in this area so far?
1: No, I mean, where this plays out, if you play this out and you, again, you've seen this has been more widely reported uh, you know, involving, say, the meat and poultry industries, where there's been a lot, you know, plants have, you know, have, have been associated with significant outbreaks in some cases. Plants have been closed uh, for periods of time. Uh, the, you know, they, they've been, in most cases, they've been reopened with uh, additional controls, and there's been a lot of back and forth uh, between in those situations between uh, the plants, their workers, the regulators, local public health officials, and so on to, to again find this sweet spot. Uh, I mean, if you put yourself, you know, put yourself in the position, say, of a of a mayor in one of these small towns with a large meat or poultry plant. Um, and you've got to be concerned about, you know, the health and safety of your community. You've got to be concerned about what's probably the biggest economic engine in your community, and you've also got to be concerned, yeah, you know, both in terms of its operation, but also its, you know, the vital uh, service it's supplying to the farmers and ranchers in your community. So you've got to you've got to strike that balance. Um, And it's, it's, it's been a real challenge, but in most cases, people seem to have risen to it. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, it's been crazy interesting to hear from a legal standpoint, what's um, been going on. I mean, everyone has so many questions because it's so confusing right now. So thank you so much for, um, you know, coming on and talking with me. I think that's all the questions I have for today.
1: Right. Uh, Well, I hope that was helpful. I enjoyed talking with you, and I hope this is of uh, interest to your listeners.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode, and thank you again to Bob for giving us uh, a little bit of insight into what's happening uh, in the food supply chain. And tune in every Tuesday for another episode of Link by Food Logistics and Supply and Demand Chain Executive. Have a great day.